It's Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, yeah, extra day off work, let's go. Uh, and it's a, it's a strange holiday in some ways because there is a sense of reverence and pain and loss and mourning that is mixed in with the let's throw a killer barbecue and go out on the water. Like it's a strange weekend to celebrate. And I think it's an important holiday for us as a society to have because it reminds us not to take for granted these great freedoms that we have. I mean, that's the intention of it, is that it would remind us of the costs that were paid to give us these freedoms. And it dates back, it was originally called uh, Decoration Day, and it dates back to after our Civil War, which of course had the greatest loss of, loss of American lives in any of our wars. I mean, the Civil War, it, it, it created the need for national cemeteries. And early in the history of Decoration Day and Memorial Day, as it became a federal holiday, James Garfield made a speech at Arlington National Cemetery, and he had 5,000 people come. And those 5,000 participants decorated the graves of the 20,000 Civil War soldiers buried just there. And it's hard for my mind to begin to wrap around the 20,000 lives that were lost just in that spot. And as we live our life as a society, we often take for granted the fact that we have the right to complain here, though we exercise it plenty. We don't reflect on the fact that it's an amazing thing that we have it, that we have freedoms of worship, that we have freedom of speech, that we have these freedoms and that they were paid for by a cost. And today, as we study scripture and as we celebrate Memorial Day this weekend, I want our minds to be thinking about these blessings that we have and not taking them for granted and not missing the cost that, w- that was paid. Because Memorial Day, it, 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 the concept, it, it just lines up with what Jesus did for us. And you're going to see this one passage, verse 13, that we're going to look at. You'll probably see it all over your social media. And you'll be like, Paul was right. All the Christians that I know, they're sharing this one passage. Greater love has no man than this, but to lay down his life for his friends. You're going to see it tomorrow all over your social media. But I want you to really see what's around it. And I want to give you some encouragements about how to live with that knowledge that someone laid down their life for us. Gospel of John, chapter 15. If you have your Bible, you can open there. And we'll project the words on the screen as I read it. And it says, I have loved you. And this is Jesus speaking and teaching. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father has told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command, love each other. Now, as we look at this verse, I understand that that was a lot in, the, in, the, in one section, but we're going to go verse by verse and look through this. It starts out saying, I've loved you even as the Father 
has loved me. Now, just even when you hear the fact that Jesus has loved us the way that God has loved him, your mind begins to interpret that through the love that you have known. Your family, your culture, the media that you consume, it all begins to form this picture of love, and that's what you assign that that love would be like. And I want to draw your mind back through some cultural concepts of love. Like if you're my age, you're familiar with one of the great love romance stories of Rose and Jack from Titanic. They were very lovey. But when it came down to it, she's like, I'll never forget you as she pushes him into the ocean. (laughs) Sitting on a door that there was plenty of room for him on, right? Like we know that, like that's one of the pictures that we get of love. One of the statements around love, I I looked up a a couple of them that that I thought connected well. One of the statements about love is, love is sharing your popcorn. All the thieves of popcorns chuckled. All the people who don't like their popcorn getting stolen, they stayed silent. I think love is saying, when you really want your own snack, so I can buy you your own snack and I can eat my own snack. That sounds like love. I'm a little bitter about that one. Um, One person describes love and says, you know that tingly little feeling you get when you like someone? That's common sense leaving your body. (laughs) Something that love does us. Someone said, love is when someone will look at me the same way I look at chocolate cake. Someone said, I, they tried to communicate their love and said, I love you with all my belly. I would say heart, but my belly is bigger. Some, some of you will enjoy this one. Some of you won't. Uh, one person wrote and said, love is a temporary insanity curable by marriage. Not my statement. Not my statement. Um, Socrates said this. He said, by all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll be happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. Hopefully his wife was not in attendance that day when he spoke that. Uh, we have varying perspectives of what love is like. And I just want you to identify as we get into talking about love that what you felt and what you've seen, there might even be an alarm bell that goes off in your head when you hear the word love said because love was abused in your history. But I want you to understand that when Jesus begins to speak about love, he's talking about a perfect heavenly father's love one that never fails, one that never gives up. It never comes up short. It never quits. He's talking about a perfect love because he says, even as the heavenly father has loved me, Jesus. And so Jesus was sinless. He never made a mistake. He always did his father's will. There was never a reason for the father to be upset at him. It was a perfect love. And Jesus is saying, just the way that the heavenly father has loved me, that's how I'm going to love you. A perfect love that he's passing on to us. And he says, remain in that love. And this is, this is a challenging point. Because as much as we've heard love described in different ways, and we've seen love stories lived out in very different ways, and we've heard the word love abused in different ways, we then experience and we've seen people abuse that within the church where they say, I love Jesus, but I live however I want to live. I love Jesus, but I do not care about people. Even though scripture says, how can you love God whom you have not seen if you do not love your brother whom you have seen? Where people disregard all of the things about God, but they say, I love Jesus. We've heard that. We've seen it in our culture many times and Many times in seasons of our life, we've slipped into that as well. 
But I want to clarify for you because Jesus clarified it for us here in this passage. If you say that you love God, if you believe that you love God, what Jesus says in verse 10, it says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. This is how he quantifies it. If you want to know if your heart is in love with God, then look at the way that you've been living. And the book of James reaffirms this. It talks about that if you have works of the faith, but you don't have faith, it doesn't matter what your good works are, because that kind of faith is dead. But if you have faith and you believe, but your life never changes, it never seeks after God in the way that you live, James says that type of faith is dead as well. And if you think that this spot is just a one-off, I'm going to tell you, Jesus continues to reaffirm this. The, the, the epistles continue to reaffirm this. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In the Gospel of John, the previous chapter, 14, verse 23, it says, "If anyone lo-, Jesus is speaking, and he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I want to just begin to impress upon your heart and your mind this gut check, this reality check, that if you say, I am a Christian, but your life just never pursues living the way that scripture has taught us to live, there's a disconnect between your belief because you're not chasing after God. And this is not a call to perfectionism. This is not a call to earn it. We could never earn favor from God. But Jesus sets the reality right before us that if we love him, our life will begin to transform and change. I, I, I've, I've shared about this before, but I, I think it's just a beautiful illustration of it. Um, uh, Rabbi Tversky talked about fish love. Maybe you've heard this before. A, a rabbi was walking passed a young man who was eating a fish. And he said, young man, why are you eating that fish? And the young man said, well, I love fish. And he says, oh, you love fish. You loved it so much that you pulled it out of the water. And you loved the fish so much that you killed it. And then you loved the fish so much that you cut it into pieces and boiled it. You don't love that fish. You love the gratification that you get from the fish. You love the way that it makes you feel when you consume it. And so much of young love is a fish love where a young man will find a woman who he feels will meet his physical needs and his emotional needs. And a young woman will find a man who she believes will provide for her wants and needs and desires and emotional needs. And so because they use each other as vehicles for gratification, they call their feelings towards each other love, but they're mostly just interested in what they receive from one another. In your relationships, your love for the other person should not be based and founded upon what you receive from them, but your love should be founded on what you give to them. True love is about giving. When you say, I love God, it is not just about receiving the blessings that he offers, but it's saying, I give him my life. When you say you love God, you're saying, I give you authority, I give you my future, And this is the most beautiful thing about giving God your life and giving him your actions and giving him authority over the way that you live is the the end result of living in God's ways is joy. That's what we get. 
As 1 John said, his commandments aren't burdensome. His commandments actually set you free when you walk in his ways. Romans 6 describes when we're, when we're caught up in sin, we become slaves to sin. And Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, to set us free from them. When we allow sin to entangle us, it keeps us from the things that we know we really want in life. It destroys our relationships. It destroys families. And when we walk in God's ways, that is when we feel freedom. That is when we feel joy. If I, Jesus said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandment, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his. This is the pathway towards joy. Verse 11 says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. I, I want to pause there because, man, we, we read that in church, but so often we bring into church with us this attitude of, I need, like, it's almost like a game face. Like, I got to get my church face on now. Like, I was happy in the car or I was angry in the car, but now it's, it's time for church face. Got to be stoic. Got to be serious. I, I have to be dressed up at church. Some of us have to be dressed up at church. I've let go of that one. There, there's no being loud in church. There's no running in church. There's no smiling in church. There's no laughing in church. There should be no emotions felt at all in church. I'm just going to sit here like this, which most, not most, many of you still are. And that's how we should be around the things of God. And I want to tell you, I, I believe in a reverence towards God. But I want to clarify for you that the result of walking in God's ways, the result of following Jesus' commandments by his words should have a joy that is in us, that is flowing out of us. The way that he describes it is he says that it will overflow. Yes, you will overflow with joy. And so why do so many Christians look like there is something uncomfortable happening in the back of their pants? Like why? Like, why do we seem like happiness is not part of who we are as a people? Why are so many churches described as when you walk in there, no one seems to care that you came for that day? That's not how it should be if we're walking in his ways. And in fact, there should be this, this, this movement of God's perfect love that was communicated to Jesus. And then Jesus' perfect love that was communicated to us in our hearts and our lives. And then that love should be given to those around us in a way that we're not asking questions of, do they even deserve it? We're not asking questions of, did they ever talk to me? We're not asking questions, have they been going to Gulfside longer than I have? Because if they have, it's their responsible, they're responsible to talk to me, not me to them. Like, it's none of those things. It's a joy that I see people with such a tremendous value. I see them the way that God does. And so I can be happy for them when they're happy. I can be sad with them when they're sad. I can, I can let God's love just overflow from my heart to them. That is the picture of a healthy Christian. That is a picture of someone who is walking in his ways. And I want to encourage you. I want to release you from the burden of feeling like I have to be the serious face. I have to be stoic. Otherwise, people aren't going to take me seriously. You're allowed to be joyful. You're allowed to be happy. You're allowed to be hurt. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be you in this place. But I'm going to tell you, whatever you've been walking through, the end result of walking in God's commandments is going to be, you're going to land in a place of joy. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to experience 
his joy, a joy that overflows. And this is his commandment. So we see this, verse 11, I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. That is his will for you to be filled with his joy. Yes, yes, your joy will overflow. His joy, it's his joy that fills you and it becomes your joy that's overflowing. Verse 12, and this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. I, I wanted to remove any lack of clarity here about the way that we're supposed to love each other. The way that you're supposed to love the other people in your society. The way you're supposed to love the other people in the parent pickup line. The way that you're supposed to love the other people in the grocery store. The way that you're supposed to love the people in your workplace. The same way that Jesus has loved us. Your love should be moving into their life. Verse 14, he clarifies, you're my friends if you do what I command. Once again, reinforcing this truth that the way that you live matters. It matters. It makes a difference to the people who are around you. It makes a difference in the kingdom of heaven. It makes a difference in the way that your life is going to go. The choices that you make today matters. Is God going to disown you if you mess up? No, He's not going to disown you. He says nothing could ever pluck you out of his hand. When you're his child, you've been adopted into his family, into his kingdom, and he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But that does not take away from the truth that the way that we live matters. You've been given a calling and an opportunity and a mission here in this time. And the way that you live, it will have repercussions both in your family, in your life, and in the kingdom of God. And so we have to choose to walk in his ways. And, and it's incredible because when you think of being given these responsibilities and these callings from God that he wants you to live out, we, like he's this authority figure over us. Jesus, he sits at the right hand of God. He is the person who will be there on judgment day, making that final judgment. He is an authority. But the way that he wants you to understand your relationship with him, he describes in verse 14, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the father has told me. There can often be a sense of God is this authority figure. Like, and when he says something, I will do it out of fear for what will happen to me. I will do it out of obligation because he's the master and he has the whip and I am the slave and I will get hurt if I don't do it. And that is a perspective that so many people take. And so it's like we follow God, but we keep him at a distance because he's dangerous to us. And Jesus is teaching his, his disciples, he's saying, this is not how, it's not a slavehood mentality. You're not doing these things because you fear me. Like, you're going to follow me. You're going you're to live my way. You're going to follow these commandments because you, I have made you my friend. I have invited you into a relationship where it's not just you responding to authority, but it's you responding to relationship. And I can remember just being baffled at people who went to church and gave money to church and served at church and were engaged in these things of God because I had no personal relationship with God. There was no emotional attachment to him. I didn't understand anything of what he had done to me. And so when I saw people living that way, I just thought they were nuts. 
And, and many of you probably listening today would say, yeah, that's kind of what I've been thinking as I see this, like all the work that goes into the church stuff and all the time, like I just don't understand it. And I wanted to tell you, that mindset goes along with like, why would you spend extra time with someone who is forcing you to do things, someone who has enslaved you? Like those questions would go with that. But when you begin to understand the immense love that God has for you, the way that he cares for you personally, the way that he's known you since before a single one of your days came to be, the way that he loves you, when you begin to understand that and you begin to follow him because he's invited you into a relationship with him, when he's invited you to be part of his family, you understand, I'm following and I'm walking in Jesus' ways, not because I have to, because I want to. Because that is where the most love, that is where the most joy, that is where the most peace is when I'm following where he is going. And his commandments keep me in step with him. And so his commandments are not burdensome. They're not a weight. They're actually something that provides freedom and joy to my life because Jesus isn't just an authority. He is, man, it's hard to say because he is so great and there's a sense of reverence there, but he says we are his friend. And so I want to be with him the way that I would want to be with any other friend. Like I enjoy their presence. I enjoy being with him and I don't want to be enslaved into something that is destructive to me. Jesus goes on to say in verse 16, he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. I want to stop there for a minute because he's clarifying what I've done in bringing you close. It's not that you picked me, it's that I picked you. It's not that you earned your way into this position where I would invite you into a relationship. It's that I looked and I said, I want you with your faults, with your strengths, with your history. I want you. And God, and maybe you're, you're just on the ledge of this today, of understanding this, but I wanna clarify this for you in your life. God actually does want you. Like he wants you in his family he wants to walk through your days with you. He wants to guide you through this life. No matter what has happened in your history, your heavenly father, he loves you with an immense love. And he has invited you in and you will choose to run from that invitation or to respond to it. And I, I want to I describe it this way. And man, I, I apologize if I step on a toe, but just, just hang with me all the way through this. But I'm going to compare it to, to this truth. I've had four children, so I've got some experience in this, but I'm going to compare it to babies. Um, God's love for you is kind of like our love for babies because babies do not deserve to be loved. And I know that might be weird to hear from your pastor, but if you think about it, you know that it's true. As a, as a woman, for any woman who's had children here, they can attest, the first thing that a, a baby does is it ruins your entire wardrobe. Like for a season, like your clothes, like you can't even wear your normal clothes anymore. And I, I also know that it will completely like change your bathroom habits as well as, as a woman when you decide to have a child, like all of that's gonna change. Sleeping while you're pregnant, that's not gonna happen too much either as you get towards the end of it. And, and then the baby shows up with about a six-figure bill that it brings with it once you finally get to bring it home from the hospital. Then that baby, when you bring it home, what it does for you every night is it just removes sleep from your life, right? And when it's removing the sleep in the middle of the night, the loving, cute, beautiful thing that it does is it screams at you. And it screams at you for any reason. It can scream at you because it's hungry. It can scream at you because it used the bathroom. It can scream at you just because it wants to scream at you. 
And then on top of that, it does use the bathroom in the clothes that you bought and it gets things stained and you have to deal with all of its potty stuff for at least two years. These are all the wonderful things that a baby does. If another human being walked into your life and started to do all the things that a baby does in your life, you would probably defend your home with a firearm. Like babies, they don't earn your love. But there is something inside of you that in spite of all of the money that they cost you, all of the energy, all of the time, all, all of your normal relationships being shifted, all of your career plans being changed, all of the things that a baby does to your life, there is part of you that looks at them and says, I choose to love you, you are mine, and even though you don't do anything beneficial to this household yet, you don't do any chores, you don't do any dishes, you don't do any laundry, but I am going to love you, and you are mine, and I'm going to see you grow, and you're going to do great things in your life, even though you're not doing any of those things yet. That is how our heart treats a child, and it's easy for us to understand loving a baby like that, even though they offer nothing to the household at the time, but it's so hard for us to understand that is what scripture means when it says, come to God as a child. You have nothing to offer. In the time that it was written where Jesus said that we should come to God like little children, children were viewed that way. They were a liability around the farm. They were a liability around the house. They did stupid things. They ate stupid things. They put themselves in the wrong position around animals and got hurt. They were a liability. And so when a man was told to come to God as a little child, that was to say, we're coming to God with nothing to offer him. He chose you right where your mess is. He loves you. He loved you so much that he sent his son, his one and only son, so whoever would believe would not perish, but would have eternal life. Verse 13 that you're going to see all over your social media tomorrow, it says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. God so loved you that his son went to the cross to pay for your mistakes. So any inclination that you feel of like, I don't deserve God's love. None of us deserve God's love, but you've been invited. He chose you and he invites you. And, and there will be a question of, will you receive that love? And through all the things that we think about on, on Memorial Day, and all, all the places that we're going to see that someone paid the price so that we could have freedoms. I hope that it all reminds you of all that God has done. And it's a beautiful thing that people in our culture have done, that, that people paid the ultimate price to give us freedoms of worship, freedoms of speech, freedom in the, this country. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. But it, I think that it's hard for us to really get it until we're reminded of just how personal some of these stories are. And so I actually want to show you just a short video as we wrap up today's message. Van, you guys can make your way up on the stage. The flag is everywhere, but I wonder if people really look at it. Do they see something underneath the stars and stripes? Do they see the American heroes who loved their country, who loved freedom more than their own lives? Their sacrifice makes a difference in the world, and it makes a world of a difference to families like ours. Each Memorial Day, my children and I have to be the courageous ones. 
because my family looks at the flag and remembers what's behind it. And we choose to live in hope. There's so many people that Memorial Day is so much more personal to. And for me in the video, seeing the young son hugging his father's tombstone. I I can say it many times of people gave their life, people gave their life. But when we're confronted with the reality that people gave the opportunity to raise their children so that we could have freedoms. People gave the opportunity to see their spouse again so that we could have our freedoms. It carries the proper weight of what we should understand at Memorial Day. The people paid a very high price so that we could have these freedoms. And it creates that tension within me of like, oh, let's go have a fun barbecue, but we're remembering this incredibly heartbreaking truth. And the proper response to those who gave their life, I believe is that they gave their life so that we could have joy, that we could have freedom that we could live this life and pursue happiness and pursue living for God. And their life was given so that we could live. And in the same way, scripture highlights that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And in the face of that, there's that same tension of like, God loved me so much that Jesus died. Like, how do I respond to that? The proper response to that is to live in his joy. And if you have been walking through struggle and depression and addiction and fear, if you have wondered from the truth of God, I want to tell you that in the light of all that God has done, come back to him. Get your heart right with God today. And not out of a sense of obligation, but out of a sense of recognition that what God did for me is so tremendous. I, it would not make sense for me to continue to run from it. In fact, what God has done for me is so incredible. It, it, it blows my mind that God has more joy ahead for me as I walk in his ways. And M- M- Memorial Day is this day of remembrance and, and there should be that, that reverence to it, but I wanna, I wanna reaffirm to you, it's about how we live and what Jesus did on the cross, it's powerful, it's tremendous. It's eternity changing. It should impact the way that we live. So church, my challenge to you today is remember these important things that have happened and let it empower the way that you live. Don't take for granted these gatherings with your family. Don't take for granted these opportunities to worship. Let's give God our all. Let's walk in his ways and experience his joy. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for anyone who has been straying away from you or someone who feels like they need to get things right today, would you just let them know that you are here to receive them, that your arms are ready to be put around them. And we know that scripture teaches us that if anyone confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that you raise him from the dead, that, that we will be saved. And so, Father, we, we trust in you for that salvation today. And we know that as we walk in your ways, as we walk with you, we will experience your joy in Jesus' name.